Welcome to the Multitask. I'm John Moore. It's your boy Fadi. What's going on, guys? So a bunch of legislators from Texas boarded planes and I guess a few buses and headed the, to Washington, D.C. to shut down some horrible voting laws passed by Texas Republicans. What did you make of this week's uh, hijinks as it relates to Texas? Yeah, I, I loved it because um, I, we talk about this all the time, but I always tell you Republicans are good at this game. And this just seems a little bit of their game. I think the Democrats have the right idea in mind and their heart is in the right place as opposed to the Republican side of things. But um, it's just always nice to fight fire with fire a little bit. I know we kind of disagree on that a little bit, but this is a perfect example of just making a story where a story should be there. If they didn't do this, nobody in the country would really know what's what's going on in Texas outside of the people who are really paying attention. And now that they kind of did this, it kind of leaks into the mainstream a little bit, and then we can get more eyes on the on the on the problem. Can I ask you a question though? Is this they're going to lose the vote, right? That's why they left, so they don't have a quorum. Is there any like if they never go back, or like what what what's the end game here? Are they going to is this end up going to be passing in Texas, or they're just going to try to fight this? What do you think? What do you think happens? Well, I don't really truly know enough about. Um, Texas and the law, but I've, I mean, I I am more resigned to that they may lose, but the reality, and I told you I'm going to try to stop saying the reality is, but I'm going to use it the first time. I just can't use it multiple times. The reality is, in this particular situation, um, they are trying to delay, draw attention to, and maybe create a little energy be, uh, to pass some type of voting legislation in Washington which could potentially undermine what the Republicans are doing, not only in Texas, but in Arizona and in Georgia and other places. I don't know the particulars, but it's that's kind of the end game. That end game is that. But the other thing that's funny, and I don't know what the process is in Texas, but one of the Texas legislators noted that because of some of the games that the governor played and the legislatures played, uh, you cannot, um, or the, 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 the budget for the Texas legislature ends on August 31st or something that's been defunded or something. So if they can at least run out the clock through August, um, they actually have to first approve a budget <laughs> before they can, before they can start doing things. So it's, I think it's delaying the inevitable, but it's kind of some creative ways of delaying the inevitable. So I think it's good and creative. Yeah, that's, that's exactly my takeaway from this is it's nice to fight fire with fire. Like Arizona kind of went down without a fight. Georgia kind of went down without a fight. We're seeing this in other places. Maybe Michigan's an issue. Pennsylvania, we saw a little bit of an issue. So the fact that they're just saying, no, we're not doing this, and we're going to at least punt the ball a little bit even if we have to go back with our hats and hands and just take this L, we're going to try to create a fuss out of it. So I, I, I applaud them. It was a good move. I love the fact that Biden came up on the other end and was like, I'll use this for political theater too, and I'll get them in here and we'll, we'll, we'll score some political points. I, I always tell you that I'm a fan when we do that, even if it doesn't lead to anything, because it's kind of in the ether of the mainstream. That was more on the timeline than if Texas just passed it in general. So, that, so that's why I'm pretty happy about it. Yeah, and um, who knows what will come of it. Uh, I, I noticed one thing, and I'm not sure if you heard the news it broke uh, today, and it's that Joe Manchin is actually in Texas at a fundraiser backed by a lot of oil lobby, a lot of Republicans, a lot of Republicans who give to that governor. There are some Democrats involved, but Joe Manchin is actually in Texas as we speak. Uh, by the time this airs, he won't be in Texas, but as we're recording this, He's in Texas for a fundraiser, uh, and many of the people participating in the fundraiser are very friendly to the Republicans, if not outright Republicans. And of course, uh, it's also in the sp energy space, right? Oil, gas, those type of folks, which I just think is pretty uh, bad timing, not good optics. And But Joe Manchin's going to do Joe Manchin things, and until you and I can get someone to the further left of Joe Manchin elected in West Virginia, I guess we just have to shut up and take it. Yeah, or or even just try to get more seats than not have his his, his seat be so vital. We, I, I think that happened this week, right, where he came out and saying 
we can't get rid of fossil fuels and we can't really do all this stuff. And it was kind of counter what Biden was kind of saying. Um, yeah, look, like optics aren't aren't always the greatest. But then again, I didn't really know he was in Texas. So maybe um, maybe really he kind of flies under the radar with everything going on. Well, one of the things is that um, while we're upset with him over this and the voting rights stuff, and we one thing should not absolve him of the other, but it's also something that should put in perspective, is he appears to be, and I think cinema as well, all appear to be on the right side of the uh, reconciliation infrastructure bill, which was which was celebrated. Uh, AOC is obviously taking victory laps. She should be very mindful to credit mm-hmm. all Democrats because what you don't want to do is, she of course is saying this is a progressive victory and she's got to signal that, but she cannot, and she has to be careful and, her, and people in her movie need to be careful not to declare losers on the Democratic side. And I would dare say, even when it comes to some Republicans, not to declare losers. It's not that we, it's it's just, but politics is always a game of addition, not subtraction. And even when you're successful, be very careful when it comes to spiking the ball because you don't want to ruin what you got and the goodwill that you may get from doing certain things. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally, uh, take it from Walter Payton who said, act like you've been in the end zone before. I totally... I totally get that kind of mentality. I don't think she was trying to say that this is a like a we are all progressives by themselves got this done. I think she was trying to say like I'll take this on the I'll take this as a victory for progressives. But I think she was trying to say something that came out look and 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 she's kind of done that before, but she kind of says something that kind of comes out wrong. Um, yeah, that was a great win. Do you know what the update is? Is that something that's gonna um, if it's reconciliation? Is it? that's it it's over a pass or is there more loopholes we kind of have to go through well it's a process um it'll probably go through labor day at the very least as far as it takes um i think the senate will pass it first and then it has to go to the house and it kind of has to i'm not sure if it has to pass as is or close to as is and then they the the two chambers kind of work it out but um there's going to be a little bit of back and forth uh, some procedures that I'm not well versed in that if I were to tell you what I thought they were, they can only be wrong. And then I undermine my credibility. So it's better to say, I, I, I know that it's complicated. I know there's some steps, but I'm not going to even prescribe what they are. But I do think that there's a little bit of back and forth between the two chambers. And, um, but it's, you know, I also don't know too, uh, will they just forge ahead with this? even, you know, and, and get it passed uh, and not wait for the bipartisan piece. Does this kill the bipartisan piece? I, I've not heard. Uh, you know, the reality is, is we cut a deal or they cut a deal with Republicans and Republicans are going to slow walk. They're going to create problems. So do you even have to make good on the deal? Do you need to, you know, it, it's hard to say. It, what, what's been your take on, take on that? It's interesting. It feels, um, you know, you, we just got done talking about spiking the ball. And what we're seeing, it's interesting, right? It, 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 I try to put myself in, my, in the shoes of my friends. Not that they're not smart, but they're not as um, paying attention to politics as, say, I would. So when I see the flooding in New York and when I see, me and you talked about this climate change Chicago kind of article that I was um, referencing um, the other week. Um, When I see all that, I tie it to infrastructure because I think it's all connected. And so if Biden were to pass this and pass the bipartisan part of it, we should be spiking the ball heavily. I just don't feel like, I, I don't know if the red tape is kind of getting people not paying attention. Does that make sense? Like, the red tape is so much red tape that people aren't paying attention to this. And I wonder that when it comes to the final, like whenever we, whenever it ends up being final, that we can spike the ball a little bit and say, uh, look at what Democrats are able to do and Republicans aren't able to do this. John, can I ask you a question a little bit off topic? Yeah. If I were to tell you 2004 to 2020, so that's two Republican presidents, right? Bush and Trump. 
what is the most significant legislation that's passed? Like, forget the Supreme Court, forget raising the defense budget, forget that stuff. ACA. Forget cutting ACA. taxes. The ACA. No, I'm talking about just Republican side. Sorry. I don't so I, take I, out I the, uh, all the stuff you took out are the only things that they've done that's significant. I but, mean, it, so that's it, my it, point. So that's my point. It's like Democrats are able to do these really, really expansive things that help the country push the country forward. Republicans always mess it up, and yet we we continue to have, feel like it's both sides, like this whole both sides thing. It's really infuriating. So. I want Biden to start taking more. I want him to start spiking the ball in a tasteful way more once he kind of has more victories. I think he did with the stimulus checks. I think he did with like opening the country. I think he's done that very good so far. And I hope that they continue to kind of do that. Yeah. And the stimulus checks were a huge, big deal. Um, yeah. You know, it's a child tax credit, which it did two pieces. One, it uh, first and foremost expanded it. But the more significant piece, and it's weird because sometimes I don't think wealthy people appreciate this or even people who are moderately wealthy. The importance for lower income people or even working class people, even lower middle class or middle class people to actually have cash. It's great to get a tax refund or rebate near at the end of the year, but sometimes you need that cash before then. It's 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 great to get that, but all you're do, doing is telling me I owe you, you know, three hundred dollars instead of seven hundred dollars. I think putting this cash in people's hands, it's going to have first and foremost a good effect on those individuals, on those individuals impacted. Uh, you know, it's up to thirty six hundred dollars a year per child, but in addition to that. It's also money that could, will also be going into the economy. So it, it helps folks. And there's a congresswoman named Rosa Deloria, who was the one who has championed and has worked on this for years and worked on it for not since COVID, but for years. And it's this is the difference, in my opinion, between what it means to be a Democrat and what it means to be a Republican. This is something that that is going to help working families. And you know how we oftentimes talk about uh Sometimes these issues defund the police or don't defund the police. And we, and those of us who are really involved in politics, get really into it. It's these kitchen table issues that the mm -hmm. majority of Americans vote for. And that is going to be something that I'll be very fascinated to see. One, it was done for the right reason and legitimate reason. But you also know that in politics, everything you do both has a benefit or a def or, 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 or provides a, a liability to something you do. And I do think this will be a political asset. And I also think it's going to have a lot of people who were either not engaged in politics kind of interested or people who maybe even supported the other side care about, may, may care about this and, and, and want to keep this benefit going. Yeah. And I'm also going to be paying attention to those Republicans who, once they get back in their districts, start taking credit for some of this stuff that they voted against, as we saw with the stimulus checks and and, and the relief money. Um, yeah, everything you said, I kind of I, I kind of agree with wholeheartedly. Like that's what I was talking about. Spiking the ball is there's an article out there. I don't want I don't want to reference the wrong people who wrote it, but they were basically saying everybody in this country is, is always does better under a Democrat, whether you're poor, whether you're rich, a business, a small business, a corporation after the four years or after the two terms, you're always better off under a Democrat. And um, we saw in 2016 with all those Trump pieces, Trump voter pieces where they were saying, I'll never forget Jordan Klepper at those rallies. And, and the lady was saying, I know he's going to take away my health care and put me in a bad spot, but, you know, I just don't like Hillary. And we, we all kind of know what that was about, right? It was about race and racism and all that stuff and sexism and all that stuff. So it's interesting that these poor people who, who tend to vote Republican or white poor people, I should say, who tend to vote Republican, um, knowing that the Democrats always help them better, yet they continue to come out and vote for Republicans. So um, that's why I mean by spiking the ball. If you could come out and say, look what we're doing and look what the Republicans can't do. And then we're all voting against it. Um, I hope that could get us more victories here in upcoming at the midterms. But we have to be honest about what we're up against. If you look, if you look right now, 
uh, I saw a report uh, today that said that I think now in all 50 states, COVID cases are actually back up on the rise. Mm-hmm. That is almost exclusively because of politics. There's a defiance that's out there. There are some folks in you know marginalized communities who are untrusting. But there's also, you know, remember at CPAC last week when they announced that Biden wasn't going to hit his goal of vaccinations, they applauded. You're applauding people dying. These people are applauding people dying. Now, I, we, I think we need to exploit the fact that these people are so cruel and heartless that they would employ uh, uh, applaud people dying, but that's what they did. And so you go back to talking about some of those political maneuvers as Relates to the child tax credit, people voting against their interests. When you have a a a a opponent where the overwhelming majority of their base—I won't even say a significant portion of their base—but the overwhelming majority of their base is willing to vote against their self-interest, and in this case, even die or at least put others at risk of death, strictly because they don't want Joe Biden to have a victory when it comes to. COVID relief. I think you and I hate Donald Trump. We know how evil he is. We know how bad he is. But when it came to uh, his COVID response, I wanted that dude to win. And I, I hate him. I can't stand him. I wouldn't piss on this town's uh, throat if his heart were on fire, which is one of my favorite sayings. Uh, however, I was rooting for him to basically keep us alive. The Republicans aren't doing that, and that's just really despicable, and that's the bad state of what, what a Republican Party is this day. Absolutely. Um, and, and it all ties into January 6th, right? It's this idea that they will do whatever to get their hands on power. And if it means Republican and Democrats dying because they want to paint that COVID is bad because of Biden and all this stuff, they're going to do that, right? Here's I think the most disheartening thing that I struggle with the most, Trump is vaccinated and didn't tell nobody. Ivanka is vaccinated. Don and Eric, I know are vaccinated. I'm sure Tucker was first in line to get vaccinated. I know Graham, McConnell, uh, all these people are vaccinated. I'll give McConnell this smidgen of a credit because he's out there actually saying for people to get vaccinated. But these people are fully vaccinated. And they're they're talking shit about vaccines because they want to spread misinformation. And we saw today, I don't know if you saw this, what Biden talked about Facebook and he was straight up saying Facebook's killing people. And he was like, I'm sorry to say it, but this is actually true. And he's absolutely right. And I don't know how to, um, this is, I don't know if you know this, this is bleeding into the sports world because the baseball, baseball is, is getting hit with COVID cases uh, this week. And I don't know if you know, Aaron judge or, one of the best players in baseball in the New York Yankees COVID. And he was at the all-star game. He was with, uh, he was with big people, legendary people. He was with current all-star. So that could be a disaster coming. Um, but did you see what uh, Macron did in, in France? No. He said cases were rising there. And he said, we're going to start mandating that you prove that you're vaccinated to go places. And within 48 hours, 2 million people signed up to get vaccinated that weren't planning on getting vaccinated before. I think this is where we're heading, is mandated vaccines for baseball, for football, for basketball, for the Olympics, right? We we have two current Olympians who are in COVID protocols on the basketball team. This is going to, this is heading this way. And I think Democrats would have been there already. But they're kind of they're and I'm kind of scared too. They're kind of scared of the response, right? We we're gonna see Tucker Carlson go on there and say this is Nazi Germany, MTG and Bobert are gonna say this. Don't Fauci my Fauci or whatever. Don't DeSantis was talking about. Don't Fauci my Florida or whatever he was talking about. So um, I think this is heading this way, and it's just unfortunate that we have to make life or death so political that these Republicans are willing to kind of die for the sake of of making a point. Well, and I th- the, I think the phrase you're looking for is something Bobert used at CPAC. He says, I don't want your Fauci ouchie. Yeah. Republicans are coming up with clever and cute sayings to encourage people to die. That In is theory, who the yeah. Republicans are. They are coming up with cute, clever sayings 
to encourage people to act irresponsibly while we have a very, very deadly disease. And I heard something, and I don't know where, I don't want to credit it, but it was the worst thing. They said the worst of COVID is still to come. Are you kidding me? The, 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 if, if this is true, I don't know who said it and what the reason for it. I, I think it was Scott it. Gottlieb, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was. If the worst of COVID is yet to come, what do we? I need to know more. Or is he talking about those of us who are vaccinated are gonna get it, or is it just that there's still enough people who are not vaccinated, and then now that we're losing, you know, relieving restrictions, they're gonna overwhelm our hospitals and everything else? I've told you before. One of the things that was tough for me, and I feel I feel a lot of relief for myself and for my family, but the thing that has scared me at with two elderly parents and a father who has regular medical procedures where there have been complications and he's had to go back after an outpatient procedure and stay for a few days and even ended up in intensive care. I don't want these assholes, and I'm going to use the word asshole, I don't want these assholes crowding up the hospitals. Because even if you and I are not necessarily in danger of COVID, there's other medical procedures that we need, and their selfishness is going to go ahead and still throw a monkey wrench and screw up our medical system so that we, so that the stuff that... All of the health care that we would normally expect and deserve in normal times is still unavailable to us. Dude, it, that, that's criminal. To me, that is absolutely criminal. If, if we are, And you've heard of, I think was it in Missouri, where they've had some portions of Missouri where the, the emergency rooms are over, emergency rooms in intensive care, and, they, and are running out of ventilators. That's criminal. That's criminal because that does not need to happen. Yeah, so... I'm I'm glad you said that. I'm I'm gonna veer off a little bit, and I, and I want to ask you a question. Remember when we were talking about? Um, remember when the whole Dominion stuff was happening, and all of a sudden Fox was getting sued, and then they stopped. And I said maybe the key here is lawsuits, right? When you start affecting their pockets, and um, so that's my question here. And you you made up a good point, right? I know you you call yourself a Twitter lawyer, but you're not a lawyer, right? So you made a good point and said if there's no victim or if there's nobody who's at loss, it's hard to just sue people, right? In theory, what is why can't Biden or the DOJ or even the CDC or even Pfizer, why can't they sue Tucker Carlson for spreading misinformation? Why can't they sue Facebook for spreading mis- misinformation? Technically, Tucker is saying the Pfizer vaccine is useless, technically, right? In, in his big scheme of things, that's what he's saying. Um, why can't Pfizer come out and say, okay, let's see if you're really about that life? You know what I mean? And why can't we start fighting this? Like, that's the only way to do it, right, is we have to fight some of this now. And, and I saw Biden come out today and say Facebook is killing people. And Facebook came back strongly and 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 disagreed. So he's, his language is, is, is heightening. So I'm wondering if this is where it's all going. But now that you're now that now that you're a lawyer, but why can't we do this now? Well, I do think that the public shaming has to continue, and yes, it needs to be shamed. It needs to be shamed. We should not I shame agree. an individual who feels that because of whatever beliefs I have. But we need to. We might need. I don't want to necessarily shame that person, but there are too many people who are influencing other people's behavior. It was interesting. I was listening to a report on MSNBC tonight when I was in the car, and they were interviewing this lady who travels around and encourages folks to get shots. And she was talking to a teacher uh, who had been reluctant to get a shot. And the teacher finally told her, I'm going to get the shot. And the teacher went on and said, and, and said that the work that this lady was doing was what influenced her to get the shot. And she said to the, the teacher looked at the lady and said, and you know what, when I get this shot, I can guarantee you at least 100 more people will get this shot because of she knew what her area and scope of influence was. And she knew that by getting the shot, one, it would be protecting her, but that she had a level of fluence and responsibility in the community that she lived in, and it would probably lead to at least 100 other people getting a shot. Um, we need more people to understand that and, and to be realistic. Um, we're seeing reports now. I, I think someone's, uh, one thing that was popular on, uh, social media, particularly Twitter the other day was the story of that one young nurse who, who was posting anti-vaccine 
threads and everything else as he died recently. What's happening at every level does not need to happen. And I also think the other piece, and I think it's something you and I are very comfortable with, I am I am all for some of our aggressive reopening efforts, but I will never ever resist when the authorities say, whoa, slow down now, we're going to go back to masking up. It's just, it's, you're, you're, it's, it's, but you do, you're paying attention to what is going on and you're responding and you're reacting and you're adapting. And we want to do when our numbers are down, when infections are down, loosen it up. But if we are seeing a situation in which our numbers are increasing, no matter how small they're increasing, maybe we need to step back once or twice. And, and don't you also think too, that we are, or should at least be well-trained enough that between masks and social distancing and vaccinations, stepping back doesn't mean shutting down. It just means being more responsible. And if we're more responsible, we won't ever have to shut down. We just have to be able to adapt to whatever the situation is. What's your take? I, I want to talk about a few things that you talked about, to be honest. Um, the first thing is this idea of like talking to people who aren't vaccinated. I, I think there's a certain amount of the population who's just not going to get vaccinated. And those people might be influencing people who otherwise would get vaccines. I was talking to a friend this week and he told me he wasn't vaccinated. He was just, he, he told me, quote unquote, I'm waiting for more information. And I had an opportunity there to just blitz him with information. Right. And I stepped back and I said, it, it, it shouldn't come from me. So you know what I told them? I said, listen, I won't use the word I use, but I said, forget me, forget social media, forget politics. Go schedule an appointment with your doctor and ask him. And if your doctor says, get it and get it. And he's like, you know what? I was expecting you to be like, I'm an idiot. You should go get the vaccine. But now that you just said, go talk to your doctor. Like, don't even listen to anybody. <clears throat> that's how I'm going to start approaching it. I, I really want to shame these people, but I'm also just Trump made it so political that people feel it's political. People already have an inherent distrust of the government that I don't want to really add to it. Right. Even I, I told you if Trump got reelected, probably would have never got the vaccine. <laughs> so it's interesting. Right. Um, so, so that was my approach. I also want to talk about this idea of opening and closing. I wonder if I'll only speak to the city of Chicago, but I wonder if instead of closing that we go to these restaurants and say, Hey, I could shut you down for another two months or you could just mandate that you show vaccine proof when enter the door. And I, that's what I was, I'm going to try to bring it back to where I was before, where I wonder if that's the real solution here is like, Oh, you really want to go to Wrigley field? How bad do you really want to go to Wrigley Field? How bad do you want to see the, the first place White Sox in the playoffs? Let, prove it. Bring your vaccination card. Bring a photo of your vaccination card and get in the stadium. Otherwise, please get away from here. And I wonder if instead of these restaurants who were kind of anti-shutdown, right? The restaurants got hit the most out of any industry, I think, with the shutdowns. These restaurants, these stadiums, the Olympics, the Taste of Chicago, oh, all this stuff, I wonder if the threat of closing would make them start to now have <clears throat> mandated vaccines for their employees and for other, other things. Speaking of mandated vaccines for employees, it's mind boggling to me that nurses and doctors and these people aren't required to get vaccinated. You are treating the public. You are part of the health community and um, you are RN. I'm sorry to that lady who passed away and her family and her friends. It's tragic. It really is. It just, I'm not, a, I don't have a bad heart for people like that. Um, but you're an RN. How am I supposed to trust you to, to take care of me? And, and you're spewing anti-science, right? So I bet you were, we're headed to the place of mandated vaccines and stuff like that. Look, it's, I grew up in the CPS system, John. I had to have vaccine. My mom, when she took me from fourth grade to fifth grade, had to show vaccine cards. When I went to high school, I had to show that I was vaccinated, right? I had to show this stuff. That I'm just used to that, right? 
the army, I had a friend in my army said they inject you with so many things that you have no idea what it is because you're going to different countries that have different things, right? So Trump, unfortunately, there was a, I won't even credit this fully to Trump because there was an anti-vax movement in 2012, 2013, 2014. We saw these diseases start popping up in Minnesota and LA and all this stuff. So it's not Trump, but Trump definitely ran into it. But I would, last thing, sorry, I'm on a mini rant. The last thing I'll say is I would urge people to ask yourself, why are Trump, Tucker, Ivanka first in line to get vaccinated and they're telling you not to get vaccinated? I would tell them to be, uh, apply your skepticism there as opposed to anything else. Those are the worst kind. Speaking of Trump, uh, this fool is making plans to definitely run in 2024. Um, yeah. I would like to know how he plans on running under indictment. I, I'm pretty confident that if he's not locked up, he will definitely be, he will have by then a criminal case or two. And, um, but the funny thing is he would still probably be the front runner even with those criminal cases. Yeah. If he was doing a five-year bid, he'd be the front runner at this point. Um, yeah. Do you know how this was revealed? Because it, it wasn't announced. It was an accident. Trump was basically trying to, he was had a Fox interview and they, they were being coy and he was trying to be coy, but he didn't realize that He's not that smart. He basically applied that he implied that he was going to be running in 2024. Uh, it's interesting. I think DeSantis wants to run. And we saw some um, merch come out this week that was very uh, presidential from DeSantis and stuff like that. I think a lot of people, if Trump was going to run, I think a lot of people are going to get out the race. I don't know if DeSantis gets out the race. So I, I'm kind of interested in seeing kind of those two heavyweights go at it on that side of the ball, if you will. But it's interesting. I'm, I, I, um, you know, I'm a big sports guy, and I'm always looking for clues. I'm always reading the Bears practice report, trying to get fantasy upside and stuff like that. Michael Cohen um, predicted – I don't know if you saw this this week. Michael Cohen, who's Trump's ex-lawyer who, who who started snitching on him and stuff, he predicted January 6th, basically 2018, 2019. He said that if Trump lost, that he would not have a peaceful transition of power, and there would be an attempt at staying in power. They were asked, Michael Cohen was asked if he was going to run in 2024, Trump. And Michael Cohen said he would bet that he was not going to run. And I'm going to take that as a clue to think, to go with my theory. Here's my, here's my official prediction. I think Trump hints that he's running, does rallies that he's running, fundraise that he's running, and really never does run. And I think he's just going to end it for the cash grab. And I think he just wants to have, he wants to be a puppet master. And I think the day-to-day stuff he doesn't really want to do. So that's my official prediction is he's going to run and he's going to fundraise like he's running, but I don't think he ends up running. So that's, we'll see right. if that changes along the way. It's, I, 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 it goes back to what we said last week or week before when you talked about shortening the election season. You yeah. can't, this is why you can't. You can you can statutorily shorten uh, yeah. the time the time between the time the petitions go out and the ultimate election, but people are human. They're going to start campaigning as early as possible, and even as you said, DeSantis is obviously looking to launch. Um, it's it's this is why you cannot shorten the season because the general public. The general public does not pay attention to what's statutory or not. They just know that mm-hmm. when they turn on the TV, when they're reading the paper, when they're getting their email or they're or they're seeing ads that this person's running, and they're not paying attention. And they're saying the season's too long. And I think obviously the First Amendment probably prohibits us from saying you can't start advertising for a campaign. And so you can shorten it from a statutory standpoint as far as when a campaign is officially starts and versus when it, you know, to when it ends. But look at no further than the Republican Party to see, you know, what what's going on. And one of the things that came out this week, though, is that there was documents that the Russians definitely did want Trump to win in 2016, and partly because he was just an idiot. Uh, I would love to know what the what the what Trump's reaction is to that. Well, Trump would probably deny, deny, deny. But this is all known, right? We've known this. This is all just our intelligence communities. Obama was briefed on this. Trump and Hillary were briefed on this. Hillary was on the debate stage saying, 
Russia is trying to help you win. Like, this is all kind of kind of common knowledge. Um, Republicans refuse to believe it, but we all know that they're in bed with the Russians too. So, um, yeah, I think I think what's interesting is people think Putin is this kind of dictator guy. Like, this dude is very super smart, and he's had military training, and he knows exactly what he's doing. His read on Trump is perfect, right? He has an inferior complex. He um, is uh, gullible. He will do whatever he's needs to do to get liked. Um, and then we saw General Milley kind of this week kind of kind of confirm all that stuff, right? So, yeah, this is not a surprise to me. We all kind of knew it from from 2015, really. Yeah, it's it's typical of of what's going on with what has been going on with Trump. Um, and <clears throat> I think when we get further away from 2016, I think there'll be greater honesty about the whole tr- situation. I think that the Steele memo still is more closer to correct than not correct. Um, I work with a local politician who always tells me it's not what you can allude to, it's what you can prove. And I think that uh, I don't want to say that they did. We definitely didn't do the right thing in acquitting him and everything else, but I think that given the stakes of removing a president, and given that you can't undo something, I think that there was an over. And I'm talking about the Mueller and the Mueller report. I bet you that there's a lot of stuff that they didn't charge because they didn't charge anything but didn't allege and didn't proclaim that is more closer to the truth than not. But I think they probably had a very high level of um, a very high bar that had to be met for some of the conclusions or from the things that we speculated to be true, that we felt in our guts to be true, but it was missing one or two elements that kept them from going ahead and making those allegations in the Mueller report. Yeah, um, I, I disagree on one point. I think there was enough there, but I think because he's the president that you need more. You just need more, right? You need an actual smoking gun. You need video photographic evidence. I think if this was like um, a robbery case, the amount of evidence they had would have put a lot of people in jail. But when you're talking about the president, you're talking about the sitting president. It wasn't like he was a former president or a candidate. Like you just need so much that 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 I don't think exists, to be honest. Like a lot of the stuff just doesn't exist, right? The espionage, the stuff there isn't paper trails. There isn't necessarily these 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 pieces of evidence that you would need. But from what I understand, everything that we believe to be true is has been confirmed along different avenues along the way, including this recent kind of revelation with Russia. Right. And it's it's going to be fascinating. You know, there's uh, more stuff and I want to, you know, because we're going to be wrapping soon. But I think the two things I'm going to I'm giving to you together, we can talk about them a little bit more. But I think one is the whole issue of the generals having a constituency plans combined with the fact that reporters were sitting on a lot of information that they were holding for books. They're related. Um, I have a real big problem with the reporters sitting on stuff. Uh, It lets you know, and and it should... Overall, we need to be able to trust the press. And I don't ever want to, and I've said this before, I don't ever want to be that Republican, like, the mainstream media did this and that. But we also have to realize that when the press has some what I feel to be useful information that could be useful in real time, the find out about it in a book six months to a year to two years after the fact, it's just infuriating. It's absolutely infuriating because what they can shape narratives. They can shape narratives. And what you and I know that sometimes they don't want to influence something, but then they also throw that away when it came to reporting on Hillary Clinton's email. They knew that their reporting was very consequential in that regard, and they went full board with it. So I I think it's just messed up. I think it's just really, really messed up. Yeah, I found it completely. I sent you a message. I was like, this is infuriating because, by the way, just so everybody has context, reporters do hold on to kind of nuggets for books. 
because that's how they kind of sell their books. But it's usually like nothing that's consequential. It's usually like, oh, you know, George Bush choked on a pretzel or like Obama didn't like mayonnaise on his sandwiches and requested. Like it's stuff like that that's like just so non-consequential to American politics that they, they kind of save those nuggets. But um, famously, Obama was super tight ship, right? Nobody, There wasn't leaks throughout the eight years. So much so that Michelle's book and Barack's book provided no new information, really. It was a little backstory, but nothing was revealed in those stories that um, that need, needed to be known, right? Now you're having the sitting president of the United States essentially attempting a coup, which we all knew was happening in the moment, and generals are talking about contingency plans. And that's like vital information that the American public should know. It's vital information that Biden should know as a, as a president elect. And we're just holding on to it. I think it's immoral. There has to be a code, right? Doctors take a code of ethics when they, they take an oath. And I feel like there has to be an oath here where it's like, um, you had no problem talking about Hillary's emails the day before the election. Here is an attempted coup in the country. There's also other things, right? We know that Trump took a secret. Uh, we know that Trump's uh, Walter Reed visit when he had COVID was much more serious than the press alluded to. And we knew that we know that now after the fact that he was very close to being intubated and his, his oxygen level dipped into the eighties and they were prepping Mike Pence and all this stuff. And that stuff is what you need to know, especially before an election, right? Not only that, but there was a secret Walter Reed trip the year before in November around the holidays that no, that I'm sure somebody knows what it is. Maybe Maggie Haberman, not to throw names, is saving it for her book, right? So, um, oh, it'll def- it'll definitely be in somebody's book. It will definitely, yeah, be. for sure. So I'm just it's infuriating, and it's part of it is maybe they don't think it. Trump was so bulletproof that nothing was going to bring him down. But that's not your decision to make. That's our decision to make. So. Um, yeah, I, I was pretty upset as well. Yes. Now, the one thing I want to close on, and I'm glad you included in prep, is a discussion, not even really a discussion, but just kind of alerting people what's going on in Cuba. Uh, as you, I think I've shared with you, I had the pleasure of going to Cuba in the summer of 2018, and it was probably one of the best trips I ever had. Uh, I will tell you that from my perspective, we need to stand with it. We obviously need to stand with the Cuban people. But I also think that what I learned from my trip to Cuba, the narratives that we were taught in school, uh, the narratives about what really happened or are kind of one-sided, just like with American history and overall. You can imagine if with American history, we shade that, um, you can only imagine what we're doing with other countries' history. Right. Uh, I definitely think that the regime that's in power needs to be removed. But I also think that a lot of times, and you've heard some of our more leftist people saying, lift the embargo and do this, you know, that where they want us to do a lot of things, which I don't think I'd have a problem with. But I also think that the polarized good guys versus bad guys uh, scenario that we have put it in through American terms is a lot different. Um, you know, Castro knocked out a guy by the name of Batista. Batista was just as horrible as Castro. Uh, one was more obviously one was either a capitalist, but or but you know obviously uh, Castro was a was a socialist slash communist. But in both cases, they were both ugly folks. And I say, and and don't forget too that even when you're in Cuba, there's some racial dynamics. Uh, most of the Cubans who fled Canada, Cuba for America were the wealthier, light-skinned Cubans. Uh, and some of the people who are in Cuba who have an affinity for Castro and the Castro regime often talk about how he was there for the little guy, especially people of color. I don't say that to absolve the Cuban government because I do think that these guys need to go. Um, but I also think that just it's almost like the same way that America, when we deal with Israel, that have you ever noticed that Israeli people are a lot more divided about mm-hmm. how best to handle the situation than Americans who are very polarized either this way or that way? There's no nuance. I think it's the same way when it comes to Cuba. I think where you want to do, the easiest place to start out is I'm for human rights. I'm for 
people being treated fairly and for uh, compassion. And some of those, some of that human rights may be with American lifting of sanctions and the embargoes. But I also think that after going to Cuba and there are a lot of people we dealt with who had an affinity for, um, from, from Castro. Um, and I could imagine that a lot of the people who had an affinity for Castro also know what he was bad, what was bad about him and, and, and the dictatorship. I say that all to say that I hope that whether we're dealing about Israel and dealing about Cuba, I would, I just want Americans and I, I have to do this myself, just become better informed and understand a lot of the dynamics, not just what the polarized attitudes that are out there. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I look at a lot of Cuba, how I look at almost Puerto Rico in the sense that um, obviously America's relationship with Puerto Rico is different than it is Cuba. But I used to always say, you know, make D.C. a state, make Puerto Rico a state. And I really changed because I don't know if Puerto Rico want, Puerto Ricans want that, right? So it's like give the opportunity to Puerto Ricans to lead and get to where they need to go, and we could help them along the way. So I guess what I'm saying is, in order for me to be an ally to Puerto Rico or Cuba is to say, what do the people want? And I'll, I, I'll support that. So it seems like the people want the regime to go, and they want freedom, and they want um, a better system. I also, I, I don't take it for granted that our fingerprints are all over this, right? Like, our history with Cuba is obviously... Um, it goes back a long time and, and, and we undermine them um, along the way to the point, not that we're responsible for what it is now, but it's not, we're not a, just a, a, a party that's innocent in this as well. So, um, and your point about Castro and Castro isn't um, universally hated in Cuba. From what I understand, there's a lot of people in Cuba who look at him like, a, a great leader like is it like north korea i don't think it, north korea is more of a brainwash they're shutting down everything and and they look at their leader like a god right i, I don't think that's the case with castro castro came in um and and really led them in a time where they felt like they needed that and i think there's still some affinity there but um i i agree with you right i think it's time now where U.S. steps in and tries to um, use diplomacy, right? Enough of the troops. I know Biden was asked that a lot about not only Cuba, but Haiti, Haiti and all this other stuff, right? There's a lot of things going on kind of in the world that um, remind me of January 6th, believe it or not. Like, this isn't any different to me in, the, in a way that there's a lot of kind of this right-wing stuff building up in a lot of different countries, right? We just saw a world, a country leader got assassinated in his home, own home, right? This is um, bubbling up in a lot of different countries. So it, it's kind of put it in a big picture for me. Right. There's a major unrest in South Africa that I saw today too on the, on the news that there's some, but I, I, I do want to, I want to know, and, and I, and I mentioned Israel, I want to start and I, and I think maybe that's a goal. Right, uh, a resolution. Even though we're now in July, middle middle of July, but I want to. I wish I want to make sure that I understand some of these international issues like a local. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to, and and I again, and I also think though too, knowing that in a, in any country in America here in 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 Israel where they're getting information, I wouldn't be surprised if Americans had more information. If a significant portion of Americans who feel one way or another would continue to feel that way or another, right? There might be some folks who would flip or switch or or, or be conflicted. But I'll, I've also told you, one of my things is I think that we have to be comfortable being conflicted. Because if you're comfortable being conflicted, a lot of times that is because you're understanding situation A situation b and situation c you're not favoring one over the other it just it's something that's in life right that i think we have to be more comfortable being uncomfortable we have to be you know i i like it with the whole issue with policing in the community it's like i want to i want the police to stop killing people i want fewer people especially black people to go to jail i want a lot fewer 
but I also want the police to be there. I want them to provide public safety. I like to, I like them to, you know, so I know there's a lot of people who is very popular say you can't um, reform this, you can't reform the police. I think that most Americans do not have the luxury, especially most black Americans, do not have the luxury to be pro-police or anti-police. They're, they're, what they have is they have like what we just talked, what I just talked about. They know the need. They hate the implement implementation, and the, and that's where they are. And so as we go back to Cuba, I think it's okay to be conflicted because in many cases you have to know and understand. And hey, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are trying to talk about America in in very especially who are not American. Um, they look through what we're going through. And I wonder if, like, in some other countries, they're more polarized than we are. I mean, we're very polarized. But they almost try to simplify it. And I bet you for a lot of Americans, ourselves included, it's it's more more complicated than even uh, we want to admit. Yeah. What you kind of ended off is kind of what I wanted to talk about was you mentioned, like, loca- uh, knowing international issues kind of like you, you were a local I'm on Reddit and I'm on these sites a little bit, the message boards and stuff like that. And obviously those message boards are global. Um, January 7th and January 8th were interesting days on those sites, right? There's a lot of people saying, what is going on over there? Like we, we knew you guys didn't really like Trump, but like he almost won. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden this is happening. They think America is simple so I could only imagine what we think about their countries, right? So it's an interesting dynamic there. Um, I'm sure what's going on in Cuba is much more layered and in-depth than we even could possibly imagine, just because I know for a fact that January 6th was much more layered and in-depth than we really imagined, you know? So um, it's a good point that you bring up. It's just there's a lot of things happening here that are happening other places, and so we could look to that, but it's also just, we're never going to understand what, what Cubans are going through because we're just not, we're not them. Right. And, and they understand it just on a much more uh, intuitive level. Right. So on that note, this is John signing off. This is Friday signing off. Thanks for joining us guys.